The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, Paul, what's going on today? How you doing? Uh, doing fantastic. Um, everything's been going okay. Um, I recently, um, I, I updated, which I hadn't done in a while. I used to talk about this a lot on the show, was my, my security blanket, my Linus blanket of, of my financial family spreadsheet. Um, I hadn't touched it in a while, and I was in a weird spot in my mind, um, you know, just kind of overwhelming feeling with some family stuff and work stuff, on, you know, just temporary kind of thing. And I wound up going back to my security blanket, and I, I spent like a good half hour like going in, tweaking the numbers, uh, looking at things, and, and I don't know why that gives me um, comfort. <laughs> but it does. Um, but I hadn't done it in a while. That used to be a habit I would do every week, and I haven't done it in a while. So, Paul, that my my security blanket is all up to date. My family spreadsheet is is kind of tweaked and tuned and 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 ready to go. Um, so that got me a little bit out of my temporary doldrums. Paul, what's going on with you? Uh, just looking at uh, I have a side porch. Uh, I don't know if you remember, and. Um... Mm-hmm. Looking to convert it to a full-time sort of office space. So I had a couple of builders come over, an architect come over. There's a small crack in the foundation. I'm like, all right, you know, is it really a foundation or is it just a slab? So not spiraling out of control. So I'm probably, we'll, we'll see if we stop it or continue to proceed. But uh, it gets very expensive very quickly. Very expensive. Understood. Very quickly. Understood. Um, yeah, and with you have kind of two projects going on, right, uh, in Florida and New York now. So you're really kind of burning the candle at both ends when it comes to contracting and building, it sounds like. Yeah, we haven't kicked off either one yet, so just still in the planning stage. I do a lot of planning. Got it. Got it. Well, well, today's podcast is going to be with Gene Rice. We'll discuss uh, his book, Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Okay, Paul. So the news story that I'm, I that I think I'm not sure if I think you might have picked it um, and sent it over was the yeah. sixty forty portfolio needs a rethink. What to do now? Um, so so taking a look at that um, when I was reading it through, I guess the gist of it is let me take a look here because I have to sign in to continue reading. I think I ran out of well, my free views <laughs> on this. So, Paul. so the gist is, you know, usually sixty percent equity, forty percent other um, bonds. And with inflation the way it's been for the past past few months and interest rates going up, what they're suggesting is you need to tweak your portfolio and potentially look at alternative investments. Um, so hopefully that rings a bell there. That, that's, that was it. And that's why, okay, that's why. Because I, I did, the, in full transparency, I did these comments <laughs> earlier in the week or late last week. I think overall I was skeptical. On some of this stuff, Um, I think that one of the commenters on the story said it best. As a wealth manager for over 30 years, I had witnessed many and varied alternative investments. My experience was that they are either substantially underperformed the market or were utter disasters, right? So, of course, this is the the pessimistic approach uh, or thoughts on it. Uh, Review your risk tolerance and time horizons. Stick with a diversified portfolio of stocks and or ETFs. Always keep enough cash despite low rates to weather any storm, storm without losing sleep. Stay healthy. Enjoy life. 
Um, I'm going to probably get that tattooed on my forearm. Um, that was really good. I think he put it really well for me. Um, so I, I guess for me, I wasn't a big alternative uh, investments fan. But you know what? I know that people use those. They use those financial vehicles. Um, so I'm not against them. I just think for me, through my own lens, it would be something that I probably would not consider in my retirement planning. Um, Paul, what was your take on this story? Uh, so I, I did like the quote you chose. Uh, it's actually the first comment in the article, and it was pretty good. And you're right, Paul. It really comes down to risk tolerance and understanding. You know, you need to really have a good financial advisor and planner to help you navigate these waters because these alternative investments can get extremely complicated for the average person to understand. So, you know, I do like the approach in the article of, you know, you kind of need to do, if you're going to do something like this, you need 10% to at least move the needle. Anything less than 10% is not worth it. So I thought that was a good point as well. You can dip your foot in the water without going all in. And uh depends on your risk tolerance, really. Interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah, I think for me, once again, I think we're both sort of like-minded in here where do your research, be, be cautious, and, and maybe stick to some of the the, 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 the regular investing, but leave it. If you're going di- to dive into this, make it p- small part of your portfolio. So I think with that, um, we'd now like to welcome to the podcast, Gene Rice. This father-daughter team wrote the book, Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. This is a unique self-help book that offers a roadmap to kickstart your future. Uh, Rags to Rich's author and CEO, Gene Rice, and his high school English teacher daughter, Courtney Bergowitz, Demystify adulthood by sharing critical information alongside professional and and personal successes and failures. Gene is a leading executive uh, retained recruiter, chairman of Rice Cohen International, and co-founder of the Plant a Seed Inspire a Dream Foundation, which helps children pursue their passions. He brings a desire to help others to all he does. Um, You can find more on their website, gradtogrownup.com. And with that, Gene, welcome to the show. Paul and Paul, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I I, I, pr- I probably mispronounced Courtney's last name. Yours was easier to pronounce. They've <laughs> been married for four years, and I still mispronounce it. Paul. <laughs> it's it's Begowitz, it's whatever you prefer. Okay, got it, got it, got it. No, but yeah, thank you for, for, for joining us today. And one of the things I think to kick off, and we kind of talked about it beforehand, was you were asking us a key question. Maybe you can ask us that again, like, you know, why, you know, I guess essentially why you we wanted to have you on the show. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I know you guys are, are doing a great job with your podcast. And I know you get a lot of requests. Thank you. Yes. I was just wondering what it was about Grad to Grown Up that attracted you and, and, and wanted us to, you know, to join you. Cool. And Paul, do you want to go first on that? Sure. So I had a couple points on it. One, it and maybe it's over sweeping generalization here, but they kind of remind me of the books when you're first pregnant, what to expect when you're expecting, and sort of at least a little guide uh, on getting you through. Well, this book takes you as a parent and the child through the next phases of, of really every, for everyone, life. Like, okay, here are things you can do to improve yourself and such. And, you know, a lot of us do this on our own and without a guidebook. So at least having some something to help you is to me tremendously valuable um I'll probably pick it up when it comes out on uh, april 12th as well so i'm excited to read the full book paul thank you yeah i think i think for me it was really all about um you know i didn't of course couldn't read the book but just looking at doing my research on 
your website and, and other things, Gene. It, it just, it was something that I wish, I know everyone says this, but I wish I had early in my career, right? In terms of how to find and prepare for an interview, right? You know, how, to, how to approach an internship. Some of these things that um, I think could use some, some experienced advice on, and I don't think there's enough out there to kind of help kids. So that kind of really attracted me to it, Gene. I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or, or you know, maybe you tell us why, do you, you know, what, what attracted you to write this book? Why, why did you write this book? That maybe that's what we just jump into from your vantage point. You know, Paul and Paul, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I wrote the book, you know, the book can help anyone at life, but I really wrote it. My mission and goal was to give young adults a roadmap to create a successful personal and professional life. And it's based on two things. Number one, it's based on my life and all the mistakes I made, right? And maybe the things I learned from them that might help them avoid some of the bumps in the road. And then it's based on 30 plus years of being exposed every summer. I bring four college interns into my office, right? I, my charity, working with young people, having staff work for me and, and realizing just how ill-prepared a lot of these young adults are to start their lives. So if they can come out of this and get two or three things that will help them, then my mission has been accomplished. Oh, wonderful. Cool. Wonderful. So I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, Gene's life lessons? Well, here's how it started. So, Paul, we bring four college interns in. And, you know, it was a pretty intensive interviewing process. These were young, these were young adults going into their senior year. And they were, they were in our company for eight weeks. And I really felt I wanted them to get the most they could out of the internship, right? So the first day, I would always talk to them and I'd say, listen, you're doing an internship here. There's three things at the end of this internship I'm hoping you're going to accomplish. Right? And if you don't, then shame on you, right? The first thing is you came into an executive search firm. At the end of these eight weeks, you should be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, is executive search something that I might enjoy doing as a career? And if it is, great. If it's not, that's okay, too. That's why you're here. Right. The second thing I'm going to tell you is that there's people here. They're senior. They're very busy. But if you go out of your way, there are people here that will spend time with you. And when this summer is over, I want you to walk away and have people that would talk about you as a reference and maybe be a mentor to you in the future. And the third thing, this is an executive search firm. If you don't leave this eight weeks being a grandmaster in interviewing, then you've wasted the eight weeks because <laughs> yeah. you're going to hear a lot of that. And that's a skill that I want you to develop because when, you know, when you're competing for a job you really want, there's probably four or five other people competing with you. The grandmaster of interviewing will get the offer. And we want you to leave here with that. But Paul, G's life lessons, I'd spend a couple of hours with them every week and I'd share with them the things I wish I knew when I was going into my senior year, Right. And what came out of it was all of these questions and all, can you talk about this? Can you talk about this? And I was just kind of shocked that there was a lot of things that they had not been taught. Simple life lessons that they needed to move on, you know, moving out of their house, starting their career. So that's, that's what I did every single week. And then over the 30 years, 
they kept asking me and asking me, can you put this in a book? Can you write it in a book? So we, we finally got it done. <laughs> I hope that answered your question. Yeah, that's very cool. And now I'm reminded, I, somehow it, it got lost out of my notes. But the one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about, because I've experienced this, is you say on your website, don't answer an, an email angry. Yeah, uh, I had <laughs> this one story in particular. Uh, I had a good friend and colleague that um, I was working with once and asked me, can you take a look at this email? And and I looked at it and I said, go for a walk. You can't send this. Like you cannot send this, right? Like you, you please do not send this. And, and one of the things that I kind of developed for myself over time, Gene, was um, I give myself kind of the, the 24 to 48 hour rule, right? If I yep. get something in email that is, super aggravating. I don't want to answer that with emotion. And, and, and I'm guessing this is along the same line. I didn't get a chance to look at the video snippet you have on the website. And I recommend everybody, please go to the website besides buying the book. It's a wealth of knowledge there in terms of grad to com, And it has these little video snippets that even if you didn't buy the book, you're going to get lessons from Gene. So, yeah. <laughs> so once again, long winded uh, question ask, but why do, why do, Shouldn't you uh, answer emails angry? And, you know, and early on in my career, Paul, I would react because, you know, it'd be I was in a very high level job, you know, with a division of a Fortune 100. There was things coming at you constantly. And uh, <laughs> you learn, you know, if you are emotional in any way in a business setting, you do not want to respond. You want to take a deep breath. You want to talk to someone. And you want to make sure that when you do return that email or that text that you've thought it through and you're not reacting emotionally because in business that just doesn't transfer very well. No, not at all. That's why I try and avoid email now. It's much yeah. better that way. That's why I, <laughs> I, I won't, I, I won't share how many unread emails I have in my inbox, both personal <laughs> and work. Right. Um, so I had another one here for you, Regine, and that is, uh, you know, we started talking about, you know, the kids coming out and interviewing and such. Can you, how do you prepare for an interview? How, what's your lesson well, on that? Well, here's one thing, Paul, I'm going to tell you, I, that could take up the whole show, but let me, okay. here's the one thing I want to share with you, right? The career centers on the colleges, they do the best job they can, right? But unless you've had experience, like I've been blessed that I've placed over a thousand executives in jobs. I've prepared tens of thousands, right? There is, you need to have a game plan for every interview, right? And I teach the young people, you have one goal and one goal. If you're going to take the time to interview, your goal is to get the offer. Whether you accept that job or not, that's your decision. But if you're going to take the time to interview, then I want you to get the offer. So I'm going to go over really quickly with you. There's things you have to do before, which we outline in the book. There's things you have to do when the interview is over, right? But there's really five basic steps of every interview. Number one, and this is what they don't understand. They don't understand how important still the rapport piece of it is, right? So, so I always try to give a young adult and I'm mentoring or I'm coaching. I'll say to them, before I prepare you for this interview, Let's fast forward 10 years from now. You're now a manager and you have a critical position you're hiring for. And you've interviewed five or six candidates and you're down to two candidates, two final candidates. And you and your interviewing team both say either one of these candidates would be great. They can both do the job. Their skills are exceptional. They're very equal. But all you have is one job. 
What's going to make you pick one over the other? I mean, Paul, what would make you pick one over the other? If they're both tied, they both have the same experience. Yeah, I, I just, I had that not too long ago, actually, at work. And, yeah. uh, and oh, oh, it was tough. It was tough because the one I actually knew even a little bit more personally. And the other one was, um, I didn't know. And we, we ended up going with the person from who's external. And some of it was rapport. Yeah. I, mean, I had re- great rapport with the other person, too. But uh, that was a tough one. Yeah. I mean, Paul, it comes down to if you have two people, the person that makes the best personal connection with you, okay, you're going to lean that way. Okay. And so we teach them how to create that chemistry and that rapport, the things they have to do. Right. That's step one. Step two, I tell them people go into interviews assuming they know exactly what the company is looking for. And that's based on maybe what the recruiter has told them. It might be based on a job description. Right. But in reality, if you're interviewing with multiple people, you're interviewing with someone from human resources or talent acquisition. You're going to interview with your direct boss. You might interview with a peer. You might interview with one of the senior executives. Each one of those people are going to have a little twist on what's most important to them, right? So they have to be taught on how to ask the question to find out what's most important to that person that they're interviewing with. So we teach them how to do that. And how I set them up for is they say, listen, let me ask you a question. You're taking a test in school. If you had the answers to the test before the test, how much better would you do? Right? Let me teach you how to get the answers to the test. All right? Now, the third part of every interview, they're going to ask a number of questions. Now, there's different ways that companies have been trained to interview. There's behavior-based interviewing. There's, there's other dimensions, right? They need to understand how to prepare to answer those questions. So the book will take them through exactly how they need to prepare. And if the question is asked a certain way, what type of interview that the person is conducting on you, right? So we take them through that. The other piece of it is you have to be able, like young people get really mixed up if someone asks a question as simple as, tell me about yourself, you know? There's a certain way to answer that question. It's not, well, I I have a puggle, I play pickleball on weekends. (laughs) You have to know how to answer that, right? Another basic question that they throw out at you. Why are you interviewing with us? What was it about our company that attracted you? Well, you got to be able to come back very specifically because your response to those simple questions could determine whether you even get invited back to a second. And then you have to be able to ask, in my opinion, win-win questions. And this is one of the things I want to tell you, Paul and Paul. If you go to the website, if any of your listeners, they can download a free chapter on the types of questions you should ask in an interview. Let me give you a quick scenario with that. My son had a, had a good friend, and this kid was a bright kid, went to one of the top engineering schools in the country, was graduating with a 3.6 GPA. If you met him, he looked like he walked out of GQ magazine, right? He had nine interviews and no offers. Hmm. And you have an engineering degree from this school, from Penn State, he should have gotten multiple offers. So my son asked me, Dad, will you spend a couple of minutes and just help him? And I said, take me through your last interview. Well, he was asking what I call win-lose questions, right? I'm like, 
He asked one company a question. I noticed your stock price has been declining. Can you tell me why? Right? He asked another. He asked another interview. The CEO online. He found that the CEO had some sexual harassment charges against him. Right? And I'm like, listen, I don't want you to take any job without having all your questions answered. But there's a time and a place. Right? I want you. I want to teach you how to ask win-win questions. Right. So remember, your job is to get the offer. So I take them through that. Now, real quickly, the the fourth part of it is everyone who conducts any type of interviewing always has some sort of concerns about the person they're interviewing. Sometimes the concerns is the person's overqualified, Paul. Sometimes the concerns is the person's underqualified. The only time you should get concerned is when there is no concerns because they're the buying signals. The op- you need to understand before that interview is over what concerns they have in their mind, and you need to get comfortable in how you ask that question. And then if the concern is false, I teach them how to address it and overcome it and get agreement it's no longer a concern. But if it's real, how to minimize it and maximize their strengths, right? And then the fifth step is you, you need to understand the next steps, and you need to be able to ask professionally. So you understand where you sit. I have so many people walk out of an interview and they tell me, how'd it go? It it went great. And they don't hear anything for three weeks. You know why? The person has four or five more interviews, right? I want you to leave that interview knowing where, how you did and what the next step is so you can manage the follow-up. So that's really quick, but there's five different chapters that takes them through. And like I said, this is a skill. Think about it. In chess, it's called a grandmaster. In sports, it's called a Hall of Famer or an Olympian, right? In science, it might be the Nobel Prize. I want people, I want especially young people, to develop interviewing skills that they're a grandmaster. And why is that so important? When they find that job they're passionate about and they're competing for it, The better they are at interviewing, the better the opportunity is to get the offer. And number two, the better you are at interviewing, the better the job you can get and the better the compensation you can bring in for yourself and your family. So hopefully that answered the question. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that popped into my mind, uh, Gene, is kind of looking at this. From your vantage point, being in this industry for, for, for decades at this point, how is how is the interview process? Has there been any real change or like what I see now right here anecdotally is, you know, the, a lot of the, a lot of the um, interviews are via video, right? We had this whole COVID thing. So the last two years, people have been interviewing via video. You have culturally um, people are not dressing up in suits. They're not dressing up in ties. Um, you know, I, I've experienced uh, stories where people are going to interviews like very casually t-shirts, stuff like that. And, and from your perspective, how do you think things have changed, you know, given the technology and the way things are and culturally? And, and should you still go in a certain way and ignore some of those pieces? Like, you know, I, at least for me, if I had to go interview and I wasn't, you know, in a, in a suit, for example, I don't know if I'd be comfortable enough, right? Just because I'm, I'm from that generation where you go to an interview, you put your best foot forward, haircut ahead of time, properly shaved, um, you know, uh, suit, all that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about your, your thoughts on that. There's a whole chapter in the book, Paul, on how to dress for an interview. Right. Okay. And I will tell you, uh, you need to 
dress for success, right? Unless you're told otherwise. And if they say it's business attire, then you really want to understand what business attire means to that company. I had a young man recently. I felt really bad for him. Uh, I didn't prepare him, but he was a, a family friend. He had this one company he really wanted to work for. And all the interviews were on Zoom. He didn't wear a tie. And at the end of it, he got feedback because he had a friend working at the company that they went with a different candidate because he didn't wear a tie during the interviews. And everybody that he was talking to was wearing a tie. Uh, something as simple as that can make the difference between whether you get the job or not. And as far as interviewing, Paul, there's a, there's a thing that's been around for a few years, but it's becoming a lot more relevant in interviews, especially if they're done via Zoom or Skype. It's called behavior-based interviewing, right? And it's pretty interesting, but it's all based on, you know, there was a consulting firm years ago that got together with a bunch of the Fortune 500 CEOs and was asking them what was the one thing that kept them up at night? And the overwhelming response was making poor hiring decisions and how much that cost the company, how much that affected the company. And when they really were honest, they were talking that a lot of them made hiring decisions based on a gut feeling, right? And then they went out and they hired a bunch of what they call these PhD, industrial organizational psychologists to try to develop a certain way that might make, help them make better hiring decisions, right? And basically what these IO psychologists came back and they said, if you want to make the best hiring decision, you need to identify what skills are important in the position you're trying to fill. And then you have to ask very specific questions to see if the candidate has demonstrated proficiency in that skill in a previous role. Because statistics show if they had been proficient in that skill previously, the chances of them being proficient for you was over 97%. If they had never demonstrated any proficiency in that skill, whether they're gonna be proficient for you the first time, it was a crapshoot, it's a coin toss. So ask the questions, hit, evaluate it the right way, and hire people based on what you need the person to do in the job. So a lot of companies are using this behavior-based approach, and that's a chapter in the book because if you're not prepared for that kind of interview, it can really throw you off. Wow. I, I do have an anecdotal story there uh, about the interview process. Uh, Fagan, you were bringing up interviews are all via video, and I I was flabbergasted when I heard that not only, yes, they're doing via video, but that people are impersonating someone else during the interviews. So they're really? interviewing on behalf of someone else. And sometimes what they're doing is they're not even turning on the video. Oh, I have a bad signal or, oh, I'm at work now, so I don't want to turn on my video, things like that. One, you shouldn't be interviewing while you're at work anyway, right? You should be off or, or whatever. But literally people are impersonating someone else or what I heard I, and, and my mind doesn't work like this. So I was really uh, taken back and shocked by this. There's someone next to them whispering answers. <laughs> I'm like, how do people think like this? Like I, 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 I've, I, I couldn't imagine that. And then I heard that there's actually software out there that will join the interview. Then like we're, we're recording this via video here. But it looks at it, it analyzes the person who's being interviewed and says how often they're not looking at the camera, they're gazing off, all these sort of different engagement scores just around that. 
So that's a little <laughs> freaky also, but like, wow, I, I've never heard of that before. Have you? Well, it, it reminds me of Goodwill Hunting, right? When Matt Damon sent his friend in for the interview. Remember yes, that? yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, I forgot. But he asked for 200 bucks. I think it was 200 bucks or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't want to go into all the different things I've experienced in the recruiting process. I can tell you stories about executives getting checks for relocation and the reference uh, it's crazy so wow yeah but yeah. but that that just blew my mind that people are literally like doing that oh, wow. yeah so let's switch gears a minute again and go back to approaching an internship how does one you know they're they're in college or even in high school and looking to get an internship that first internship how should they approach well, that well here's the one thing i want to tell you and this is the thing i think we need to do a better job on and, and Paul Fagan, like you mentioning your son wanting to go to a school that offers internships, mm-hmm. that, that is like my middle daughter went to Drexel, right? So it's a five-year program, but she did three six-month internships. Mm. And she came out after those five years, and she knew what she wanted to do. The thing that would really, you know, the thing that frustrated me with the college interns, right? I would ask all these young people, why are you picking that field? Well, why are you picking that field, right? And a lot of them, first of all, they're in communications or or they're in marketing, right? I don't even know if they're going to be able to get a job. And then when you ask them, Paul and Paul, you know, every single one of these young young adults had college loans. Our biggest debt in this country, $1.4 trillion is college loans, right? And And I would say to them, you know, they all knew how much they borrowed. They all knew they had to start paying it back six months later, but none of them could tell me how much they were going to have to pay back because you don't figure that out until the four years are over and you stop taking all, all the loans. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and when I really, a lot of them should have went to a community college for two years, right? Taken all the required one-on-one courses. It would have helped them figure out what they wanted to major in, Right. And, and, and they would have saved half the money that they had in college loans. But the other thing that frustrated me is how many of them were going into a role. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. And where was that coming from, right? It's coming from somebody influential in their life. Could have been a parent, a grandparent, teacher, kind of said, this is a place that you should go, you can make a good living, right? A lot of them, when you really ask them, there was things they were passionate about. But they had no idea how to get an interview, never mind a job. And one of the things that I talk about in the book, which is really important to me, and I think parents and grandparents need to hear this loud, loud and clear. If someone that's important to you in your life is passionate about something. Encourage the heck out of it. Every great dream started with a dreamer, right? I don't care. I don't care. It, it could be I want to start a, a landscaping business, right? I want to do this. I, I want to develop video games, right? Why can't that young person be the person that develops that, right? Now, you can talk to him about a plan B, but what I talk about in the book, right, is I give them a roadmap. If you're passionate about something, here's how you go about figuring out if the passion is real, how you get an internship, okay? 
then how you get a job once you're passionate about it. And I can walk you through some examples of, of young people I've worked with if you want, but the internship program is critical. And here's the one thing I want to tell you, Paul and Paul, mm-hmm. in, in, in my life, because I was on a bunch of these top executive recruiters in the world list, right? I would get 60 to 80 resumes a week. And when I tell you, if I could help one of those people, it was a lot because the way the executive retained industry works, right? You specialize in a vertical market, right? So I worked exclusively with my clients. We got paid, we interviewed all the candidates. And for me, the most important thing was that it had to be a good match, right? If it, if it wasn't a good match and it didn't work out, it affected my relationships on both sides, right? So, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing I will tell you is a couple of times a year, I would get an email from a young person. And the email would say, I've done research and I have a passion for human resources or executive search. And I know you're a thought leader in that industry. Would you spend a few minutes with me and give me some guidance? I always felt compelled to talk to that young person. I think most senior people would do the exact same thing because I've asked them. And, and why? You'd want someone to do it for your kid, right? Right? So I, if you're passionate about something, these young people are nervous about reaching out, right? I encourage them to reach out. I help them write in the book. I help them write the email that they should write to reach out, right? And if you offer somebody, hey, I'm passionate about finance. I want to be a financial advisor. Can I come in and work for free for you this summer, Paul? Right? You you might say yes. Right? You might say yes. I think most people would. I think most would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's so funny you said that, Gene. It's very timely. My son finishing up high school his senior year, part of the program that they have at his high school is um, between May and June – they, they, they are supposed to find an internship to do in maybe the field that they're interested in. So they do this at the high school level. So my son, of course, wants to be in technology and, and his counselor was helping him to solicit via email, you know, to, to different tech, little small tech companies. Right. And one in particular um, that's been around for a long time, um, you know, he made a connection. He went to go visit the, the shop and, and, and met the person and he got home. And he was he was a bit disappointed because the guy they couldn't offer him this opportunity just structurally the way they had it they couldn't do it. But then I said, well, how long were you there? You know, talking to to the gentleman. He goes, ah, I think like an hour and a half. I'm like, that's worth it, right there, right? Because this guy took the time to spend an hour and a half with you. Now, he didn't have a spot for you, right? And it wasn't your fault. He just he wasn't it wasn't a, a perfect time. You know, he got hit. You know, he didn't, he wasn't prepared or anything and they just didn't have it in their plan, but he got to spend an hour and a half of learning from a guy who's been doing this for 30 years, right. In this industry, you know, fixing computers, setting up networks, setting up this, that, and that. And I think that, you know, it goes a long way. So I don't ever think there's kind of a wasted opportunity, even if you don't get something. And to your point, it's better to get an internship and, and figure out that you don't want to be in yeah. that field <laughs> or yeah. you wind up. Um, going into something where you might not get it, but you get more value out of it. And I know, Paul, I think you've probably had something similar happen with, I think we talked about it with your kids or one of your yeah. boys. Yeah, my my older son, he um, was a senior in college, did an internship. Um, but actually prior to that internship, he reached out to a company and said, hey, you know, 
I'm looking for an internship. Do you guys have any? And uh, it was a really small company. And I said, no, we've never had an intern before, but we can talk. And they ended up talking. He ended up getting the internship. And he now works for them in Florida as a full-time job. Absolutely. And, Paul, with your son, I would see now I would coach him. After that hour and a half meeting, here's what I want you to do. There's no job. I want you to send him a really, really good follow-up email thanking him for his time, mm-hmm. asking him if he can call on him if he needs it. And then the second thing I would ask, you spend an hour and a half with your son. He likes your son. Maybe his company doesn't have anything. But does he know anyone else that might give your son an opportunity for an internship? And if you say you're going to work for free, people will, they'll find things. And, and let me tell you another story about a real life story that, that might hit home about encouraging young adults to reach out to senior people. You know, I have a charity, but this charity came to me a couple of years ago. And this, this was a charity that knew about me and my charity. And this charity helped foster kids that never knew their parents get into college. And then if the foster kid graduates from college and they were having a hard time getting their first job, they would reach out and try to find, you know, mentors, business mentors that might guide them. So this charity calls me and says, we have this great young man coming out of Temple. He's having a really hard time. Will you talk to him? I said, certainly. So I talked to the young man. The first question I asked him is, okay, what was your major? Sports management. I said, sports management? Okay. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, most of those jobs, if if you're lucky enough to get a job, it's usually because you know somebody, right? I said, what have you done? He goes, well, I sent my resume to the Eagles, the Phillies, the Sixers, the Flyers. I said, what's happened? He goes, no one's gotten back to me. I'm Hmm. like, well, let me explain to you, right? If any of those franchises are looking for someone with absolutely no experience, they're going to call you and the other thousand resumes they got. You're never going to break in that way. I said, I'll work with you under two conditions. Number one, if we get lucky, and we probably won't, we'll probably strike out. If we get lucky, are you willing to move to Des Moines, Iowa and work for a single A baseball team? And he goes, I'll go anywhere to get my foot in the door. I said, okay. And number two, if we strike out before we start this journey together, I want to know what your plan B is. What job would you take? And he thought about it and he came back to me, he goes, I I would go into sales. I said, okay, there's a lot more opportunity in sales. I said, I'm going to help you with a plan. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to start within 50 miles of Philly. And then we're going to expand in 300 mile radiuses after that. And if we get lucky, you're going to end up in Des Moines, Iowa. We're going to start with the major franchises, go to AAA, AA, single A. And I want you to do the research. And the research is I want you to identify every C-level executive from the four fly, the, the, from the Flyers, the Phillies, and then we'll go to the AAA. And I helped them write an email. And the email was very simple. I have a passion for the sports management industry. I know you're a thought leader. I'm having a hard time. Would you be willing to spend 30 minutes with me and give me some guidance? And in return, I promise I will pass it forward in the future. And he sends it out. And the chief marketing officer of the 76ers gets back with him. So I helped him prepare for that call. I said, when it's over, call me. About an hour and 15 minutes later, Paul, he calls me and he says, I said, how'd it go? He goes, well, he's invited me in on Wednesday. He wants me to meet four people. I'm like, wait a second. He's invited you in to meet four people? That means there's a job there, right? So let me prepare you for the – he's not going to waste four people's time. Let me prepare you for these interviews. 
Well, the end of the story is he ended up getting hired in the Philadelphia 76's corporate sales department. He got his foot in the door. He's now working out west with one of the uh, the hockey franchises. But it was reaching out to a senior person, right? Not HR, not sending his resume in cold. And that senior person, if he directs them and says, hey, we got a position. I want you to interview this young man. That is... That's the kind of introduction you want to have in an interviewing process, especially for a job which is very difficult to get, like a sports management one. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And you, you know, what you had just said before, you know, rewinding the tape, sort of speak, uh, a minute or two about that recommendation for my son. I totally missed that. Right? I, I think I think I might have asked him. You should send a thank you note. But those little pieces, those extra lines in there, might have made a difference. Right? Referral. Call me back if anything opens up. Like, I think, I think we should have tweaked it, and that's good advice to know, right? And I think this is one of those episodes we could go for, like, hours, but we don't want to, <laughs> we, we don't want to keep you for hours, and hopefully we'll have you back at some point, Gene, yeah. and we could drill into – because we could do a whole episode on resumes. We could do a whole interview, you know, but, but you'd have to be willing, and hopefully we could get you back for some of that stuff. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, is around the philanthropy, right? So you mentioned your your foundation talking to the other yeah. foundation. Yeah. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the Plant a Seed Foundation? We'd love to dig into that a little bit as part of this. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's a question I have for you. You you you, mm-hmm. you are both fathers, right? When, when you look at your children growing up, right? If your kids were like my kids, there were things that they were really passionate about, right? My oldest daughter was into acting. Right. She would go to acting camp. Uh, You know, she was in all the plays. She ended up becoming the president of a drama club. Right. My son was a basketball player. Right. Since fourth grade. You know, he's getting married. Right. He's getting married at the end of April. Uh, But what what do those passions do for a young person? Right. Number one, it builds their self-esteem, usually. Number two, it connects them with positive role models, the guitar teacher, the sensei right? The drama coach, the basketball coach, whatever it is, depending on the passion, most of them connects them with like-minded kids. So friendships develop. My son is getting married. Four of his ushers are kids he's played AAU and travel basketball with since fourth grade, right? Now you get exposed to some of the kids in the inner cities, Philadelphia, Trenton. We work with a lot of those kids. Most of the, most of the households are single, single parent. Those young people, have the same passions, but they don't have the income to even send the kid to karate down the road. They don't have the income to have the young daughter go and take dance lessons. So where the charity steps in, my wife and I, we don't want a family just having a tough time financially for those kids to suffer. We'll step in, right? And we will find them a mentor, a coach, a teacher, We'll put the connection together. We interview both sides. Every month we check in. We start off by giving the child an annual scholarship. Every year we meet with the family and the child again, and we renew it. And now we've been doing this since 2008. We've helped over 800 kids. Last week, 47 kids went and attended activities based on the Planet Seed Inspired Dream Foundation. And we have so many great stories. I mean, we had two just in the last couple of months one of our young men who was a drummer, right, playing drums for four years, he just got a full scholarship to a private high school for drums, a drum scholarship. I didn't think they gave drum scholarships, right? <laughs> yeah, right? 
<laughs> and then we had another young kid who came to us in fourth grade. He was getting bullied in school. He was small. And he wanted to take karate. And we found him a karate studio two blocks from his house with a great sensei. This young man went and started taking karate four times a week. He's now 15. He's a second degree black belt. He can't become a third degree because you have to be at least 16. And the sensei called us and said, listen, there's no need for planter seed to pay for him anymore. He's now becoming my assistant and going to be training other kids, you know? And I remember meeting with him. I said, I'm sure people aren't picking on you anymore. He goes, no, no, no one bullies me anymore. <laughs> wow. You know? But that's what the charity does. You know, that's what it does. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, to be able to make a difference with these kids in their lives, I think is incredible. I, I think, and um, thank you for your help in that in that space, right? I mean, it, it, and your good work in that space. I mean, I think that's unique. I don't know if I've heard too many charities that, that kind of do that type of philanthropy, mm -hmm. that type of mission, right? I'm sure there's there might be a few out there, but that that really resonated with me and I love and congratulations on the numbers, right? 800 plus kids is, yeah. is amazing. And, and kind of just kind of flipping the, the, the needle a little bit to another piece, which is around your own kids, right? Like when you were writing this book and I know you wrote this with, with Courtney, can you tell us what that experience was like? Was there any conflicts? Like tell us a little bit about that from a family perspective. I'm just curious. <laughs> Well, you know what it was? It, it was Paul and Paul. It, it was a great experience. You know why? Courtney had uh, her first child two weeks after the global pandemic hit the U.S., right? He was born March 31st, 2020. She was a high school teacher in New Jersey. She wanted to take a year off. And it allowed us to collaborate and write this together. And like, Paul, you mentioned to me be before the interview, how you have all these pages, pages. I, I had the same thing, but I needed someone to come who could put it down, you know, in, 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 in a book form. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of pushing and shoving. And when you see the book, at the end of each tip, there's 68 tips on creating a successful professional and personal life. I'll talk about my input. And then there's always a Courtney comment at the end. Mm -hmm. She's, she's giving me a hard time. She's keeping me honest. She's breaking my chops, but you know, we went back and forth on a bunch of stuff, but one of the, one of the greatest things that came out of this book, Courtney went to Lehigh. She graduated with two majors in economics and English at Lehigh. If you have a 3.75 GPA after the four years, they will pay for you to stay and get your master's for free. They paid for her master's degree. I used to do a lot of executive search in the consulting industry. The, the consulting firms would die to have a candidate like, like Courtney. Courtney had a passion for teaching. It's where she, she, in that classroom, she's amazing. She taught in the New Jersey system for eight years, high school. She loved the classroom, but the administrative piece of it was just wearing her out, right? There were six openings every single year in her English department, the way they were treated. And the book inspired her to go find a different teaching job, right? Now she's in a private high school called the George School, a great school that embraces her and has told her based on the book, we want you to build the curriculum. We want you to teach a class to our kids based on the book next year. You know, that would never happen in a public school. Ever, wow. you know, and the book inspired her to go out 
and then find something, a, a culture where she could be happier. And she is so happy. And I said to my wife, if nothing else comes out of the book, except Courtney finally moving on after 10 years to find a better environment, this book's been worth the time we spent together. Wow. That's a great story. That, yeah. That's a wonderful story. Um, taking something, you know, the baby, great. And then global pandemic, oh, shoot. But it all tied together to come out to a, a wonderful end story. I can't wait to read the book, by the way. I can't yeah. wait. Uh, I, I do have one last question, though, Gene. Yeah. One, one last question here. Um, what is the one piece of advice you would give young adults to help them set them up for financial success? That's a great question. You know, and, and, and the book goes into a lot of different areas around, you know, you, you're buying a car, should you buy it, should you rent it, you're moving out, you know, do, do you know how much it's going to cost you, you know, a credit score, do you, do you know how it's evaluated, you know, if you have a bad one, do you know how to fix it, it goes into all that stuff. But the one piece of advice I'd give them is what's helped me personally, Paul. Yeah. When we had no money, my wife and I, the one thing I started is the first of every month, I would do a sheet. And I, I still, to this day, I did it yesterday. I do it on the first of every month. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. It's called Know Your Net Worth. And when I first did it, there was no net worth. It was more Know Your Debt, right? <laughs> yeah. But I would do that sheet and I would go into every aspect. Do I have anything of value? You know, I had some baseball cards that was worth something back then, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I had a car, you know, well, you know what's, the, what's the Kelly book value on this car if I had to sell it, if I was really tough? What kind of debt do I have? What came from that is every first of every month now, I go over everything, everything I have. I also set goals and everything I spent that month. And what that, what that did for me is... It, it might have made me say, you know what, this isn't this isn't the month to go out and buy a new suit, right? I have to wait, right? And I've been very blessed. Uh, I'm, I've I've created great wealth. I'm you know and I'm very blessed that way. And that was the one thing it did for me. Now I need to write it down. You know, Paul Fagan. I know you were talking about your family thing. I need to see it writing down. But there's a great app. Courtney uses an app. It's a free app. It's called Personal Capital, right? It's a free app. That app will tell you every single day, you put in your, you know, your 401k, you put in your bank, it will tell you automatically for free what your net worth is. And what does that do for a young person? It tells you where you are. You know, I've talked to some young people. I said, you know, do you have a rainy day fund? You know what the answer was? Yeah, I have a credit card. No, that's not oh a my. rainy day fund. <laughs> oh my. You know? So that's the one piece of advice I would give because it's helped me personally, Paul. And, and in the book, there's a whole chapter in Grad to Growing Up about, you know, tracking your net worth. Very cool. Very cool. I think with that, we could go into the summary recap. Um, and number one, for me, I think what came out, Gene, and thank you, you know, congrats on the book and the pending release. We can't wait to see it and read it. Yeah. Um, this book, I think... It struck me mid-podcast. It's not just for young people starting. Yeah. <laughs> I think this could be used for anyone in their career, right? There are plenty of yeah. older people out there that are writing angry emails <laughs> or still not preparing well for an interview, right? I, I, I still think that's happening, right? And, and I think your book could be used for all those. And then the fact that you talked about your, your, your mechanism for, for your, your Linus blanket, your, your, your way of doing your, your uh, financials. We could do another whole episode on that. Like <laughs> I've been doing that 
for years. And that's what my, that's essentially what my Linus blanket spreadsheet is, is the net worth. There's a, there's a little tab in there. Um, Susie Orman um, used to do a segment on her show that talks about, you know, what am I worth? And, and I copied that exact mechanism. What are your assets? What are your liabilities? And when you pump those numbers in, it gives you where you're at. And once again, yeah. I'm thankful, grateful. I'm a little bit ahead of where I was 20 years ago, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, but but thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. And, yeah. and Paul, I'll hand it to you, and we'll give Gene the last word. Yeah, yeah um, I'm trying to think of where to start, quite honestly. Yeah, a lot of what you said, especially even at the end, resonated with, with me about your financial planning aspect of, you know, the net worth, uh, writing it out. I remember when my wife and I, we bought our first home, there, there was no longer a comma in the bank account. And the lawyer was my parents' lawyer, a friend of the family. And he's like, if you don't have enough to pay me today, that's okay. Like, that, that's how bad it was, okay? And, um, yeah, thankful and, and happy that we're much better off. But a lot of some of that is due to being cautious and careful and planning. So yeah. just like you've done. So, uh it's, it sounds like it's a great book. I, I can't wait to uh, to read it. I also want to point out to our listeners that and I'm sure Gene will do this in the wrap up as well. Your plugs and such, but all the proceeds, I believe, go to the plant the seed, right? Yeah, all my proceeds are going right to the charity to help more kids. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Gene, we'll give you the last word and and and, and how people can find you and 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 yeah. um, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. So it's grad to grown up, G-R-A-D to T-O grown up.com. You can go there and download some free chapters, right? And you can get it and definitely get a feel. I want to leave this podcast. I really appreciate the time, but I just want to encourage everyone listening. Just the things that I want to see people do is I want to see people pursue their passions. Uh, you know, I think one of the greatest goals in life should be to find something that you sincerely love doing and then doing it well enough that you can create a career doing it. If you can find that, you don't wake up every morning going to work. You wake up going to something you love. Your personal health is better. Your personal relationships are better. The glass isn't half full. It can be overflowing. And this book will help them find that passion and then get a job in it, right? I also want everybody who's listening to this, I, my another goal is I want everyone to become a grandmaster in interviewing. It's a skill that we, people don't develop. And you want to have that skill because when you find that job you're passionate about, that skill will help you get the offer and get the job. So this book will walk them through that as well. And then I just, uh, you know, I, I want everyone also to learn in life as early as you can, you know, to, get, to give back, right? To give back to others that are in need. And that's why I wrote this book, to give back to people. And if you can get one tip out of it, out of the 68, then it was worth me writing it. And I, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Very cool. Thanks, Gene. And well, with that, uh, Gene and Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. Um, also, please go to our YouTube channel uh, and search for Financial Dads, and please subscribe to our channel. We would really appreciate it. Um, so with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful. But that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.